All right, let's go ahead and stand as we get started tonight. Uh, I want to thank all those who have joined us online tonight. Thank you for being with us uh, this evening. And uh, how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand tonight. If you're online, if you'll comment, we will pray with you as well. Uh, how about this rain? Thank the Lord for the rain. Need about five days, just like today. Just, uh, I know I was talking, Sheila had a doctor's appointment today, and I was telling the doc, he's asking about the rain. You know, it's very difficult to get Sheila in the rain. I've got one, put, I've got one hand with the wheelchair, one hand with an umbrella, and she's struggling. And I'm like, I don't have any more hands. I mean, <laughs> uh, so he, he was talking about it, and I said, you know, we need about five days. I said, of course, that will make everybody aggravated. And he said, well, they're already aggravated because the ice, last, ice from last week. I said, well, you're right there. Thank God for the rain that nourishes the earth. My prayer is let there be a spiritual rain that saturates our soul. And uh, uh, anyway, let's pray. Father, tonight we are so grateful to be able to come together and, and study your word. Lord, I thank you again for the rain. Thank you uh, for that rain that, that just nourishes and cleanses. Lord, there's just, just something about the atmosphere when the rain comes and it just washes things. Uh, Lord, it just feels different. And for that, we're grateful. And, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to, uh, to provide uh, the necessary rain and moisture that is needed uh, in the earth. I pray, Father, tonight as we open up, we do so, uh, Lord, with a heart of thanksgiving and a gratefulness for all that you do for us. Lord, you are a good, good Father. That's who you are, and we are loved by you. And, Lord, that's who we are, and we're thankful. I pray, Father, tonight every need that was signified by the lifting of the hand. Lord, those that have joined us online tonight. Lord, I pray that no matter what that need is, I pray, Lord, that you would just take charge. I pray for those that need healing. Lord, you are a healer. I pray, God, that healing would be found in you. Lord, we pray for those that need some encouragement on this Wednesday night, that you would uphold their right hand. Uh, Lord, with your right hand, Lord, that you would uphold them and encourage them and strengthen them. Father, we pray for those that need finances, Lord. We pray for those that, Lord, just need strength, Lord, to, for the daily task at hand. Lord, for those that need joy and uh, and, and peace and comfort, Lord. I thank you that you're the great I am. Everything that we need, Lord, you provide for us. Father, I pray for all the ministries that are taking place on campus tonight. And, uh, Lord, I pray for our time of study, that you would open our hearts and just let us receive what you have for us. Lord, we pray for a revival, Lord, in our land. Lord, you tell us to be that your house would be a house of prayer for all nations. And, Lord, we, we pray for our nations. We pray for ours. Lord, we pray that revival will come. Lord, when blatant evil is broadcast and, and shared all over the airways, Lord, we pray that there would be a righteous remnant that would call out for a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, Lord. In these last days, continue to pour out your Spirit and saturate us with a fresh fire from heaven. Father, we thank you for all that you do. We commit this service to you right now. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to jump right into our, our new series. Um, and while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Don't forget, tomorrow is our, um, is our food distribution. I think the monsoon is gone, and so we should be good. I think it might be a little cool in the morning, but then it should, I think it's supposed to be up close to 60, so that's not too bad at all. Um, so anyway, uh, tomorrow at Yellow Jacket Stadium, we will have our food distribution also, don't forget, uh, coming up a week from Sunday, the 19th, is our annual business celebration. After the second service, we have lunch that will be in the Family Life Center, and then we'll have our uh, annual business meeting uh, uh, right after lunch. Um, I want to go ahead and uh, two more things. One is uh, April the 2nd. I'm going to go ahead and give you that date. Uh, April the 2nd is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that we always designate as our friend day. And, and I just want to give you head, heads up on that because I want you to really, really be diligent this year in helping us pack out this building. We're going to have a, a brand new drama we've never done here before, Illustrated Sermon. And uh, we want to pack out this building uh, on that Sunday. Uh, more importantly, we want to see souls bought, uh, brought into the kingdom. And listen, he... He has it already ready to go. We've got to do our part. And so uh, April the 2nd is Palm Sunday, our friend day. 
go ahead right now. What I would suggest is write down three or four people. You may not get the first one to agree, but write down three, four, five people that you can invite for the next couple of weeks. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would uh, soften their heart or God would touch them or speak to them or whatever God needs to do and then present the invitation for them to come and be your friend on Friend Day. Uh, if you have to bake them, make them tamales to come, make them tamales. If you've got to give them little Debbies, give them little Debbies, uh, whatever. Uh, but let's do that on April the 2nd. The, uh, the second thing is this. Uh, we had a, two weeks ago, or a week ago, we had, I met with some of our intercessors. And uh, my goal is to have, uh, what, what we want to do is start our intercessors back praying like we used to in the room back here. Uh, that we use for health check, health, health check, that, you know, what they did in that room there <laughs> for, for um, a number of years. But it was really put there to be a place for intercessors to pray during the service. And I had several that had contacted me uh, after our little gathering that said, hey, we want to be on the list. Uh, I hope to have that list done within the next week or so. And we're looking to start that on March, the first Sunday of March. Um, I truly feel like when I went to Springfield as part of the soft launch of this world prayer uh, initiative through Springfield is that I think we are a praying church. I believe that we see the evidence of that uh, 30 years of just sustained, you know, uh, just God doing good things. We, I think we have a wonderful church family um, and we do wonderful things in our community, but there's more. And I want to see a sovereign move of God. And that doesn't happen with activity. It happens by prayer. Many, of, Actually, all of the great moves of God were preceded by, uh, uh, with, with prayer and people praying. And so I want to encourage you to pray in your own devotions. Again, on Sundays, I mentioned this uh, as well. Sunday mornings when I was, at Brooklyn, uh, when I was in Brooklyn Tabernacle years ago uh, at their Tuesday night prayer gathering, they, uh, they actually had more people in their Tuesday night gather, prayer gathering than they did in their in church. People just came out in the droves uh, for this prayer gathering. And what they did was when they walked into the building, they, uh, they would lay down their stuff in their chair, uh, most of them did, and they would come forward and they would spend about a minute, two, three minutes, no longer than that, they would come to the altar, would kneel down for a moment or stand there for a moment and just pray for that day for that service. Uh, and, and so I would encourage you to do that on Sundays. Um, when you come in, just come on down, say a prayer, just kind of get your atmosphere right, the atmosphere here right. And uh, I, I'm just ready to, God, to see God do something incredible. You know, when we built this stage, it was designed the way it was supposed to be, was to be an altar. But that's a little bit high, it, you know, depending on your stature. I've seen some people with their elbows way up here trying to pray, and so I am going to get our altars back over here on that side and that side so that people would have something that they want to kneel at the altar since they can't reach the, the top of the platform. So anyway, we're going to, uh, again, put the focus. Jesus didn't say our house, my house shall be a house of preaching, didn't say my house will be a house of outreach. He said my house shall be a house of prayer. And we want to make sure prayer is the focus. Um, so anyway, let's get into our teaching tonight. We're starting a brand new series, and it, it probably, uh, you know, this book we could spend the rest of the year, so I'll probably just do uh, several weeks uh, unpacking the book of Joshua. One of my favorite books, and I, and, I, and I do say that all the time, but it really is. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love the story of Joshua, uh, and so we're not going to read the entire chapter one, but let's read the first few verses uh, beginning uh, verse number one says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. I always love that phrase, it came to pass. It didn't come to stay, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. And may the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, again, as we begin this new series, over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to unpack this incredible story of Joshua. Joshua, uh, again, as we read in the text, he's the understudy 
to Moses, okay? So he's, he's the understudy of Moses. He is renowned for his loyalty and his faithfulness. Uh, again, as you look at his life, uh, here was a man who was the number two, and he was faithful, and he was loyal. That's a rare quality, and actually those are rare qualities uh, in our world today. Loyalty is unheard of in our culture today. It's it, it, whoever, whoever is going to take the best care of me has my loyalty and my, lead, my, loyalty and my allegiance, right? Isn't that about how it goes today? Not with Joshua. Joshua being the understudy was okay with being the second man. You know, he was comfortable there. And he was the understudy. He, again, renowned for his loyalty, his faithfulness. His name, the name Joshua means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves, or the Lord is my salvation. That's what Joshua means. In this study, we're going to see Joshua move from the number two position to one of the greatest military leaders in the history of mankind. Uh, and it's a, it's a fascinating story. He stands, when it comes to military uh, uh, prowess, he stands in the top rank uh, above Alexander the Great, people like Napoleon and Hannibal and others, Joshua, the general, compares favorably, again, with some of the, you know, I, I think back to Desert Storm, uh, uh, Storm and Norman, you know, and the accolades that he received and all of that. Joshua stands head and shoulders above all of these leaders and generals. Joshua, a little bit about his background. We don't have a lot of biographical data on him. He was born in Egypt. He was born as a slave. He was trained under Moses. And by God's choice, and I want you to hear that, by God's choice, he rose to become the replacement for Moses. It's important, you know, sometimes we buy our time until God, you know, a lot of people today want to self-promote. But the way it's supposed to be done is it's supposed to be God-promote. God-promote. And so Joshua, again, was faithful and he was loyal all of these years, and now in the in, in, in what many of us would think would be the twilight of his life, he now is promoted to become the replacement for Moses. Again, his story reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He said, because you have been faithful in the little things, I will make you ruler over many. See, he pays attention. And if we're faithful in the little things, if we're faithful to do, you know, maybe your first, maybe your first ministry job is to pick up bulletins after, well, we don't do bulletins anymore, but you know, maybe to police up the sanctuary after a Sunday service. If that's what he gives you to do, then be the very best that you could possibly be. Why? Because when you're faithful in those little things, one day he'll make you ruler of many. See, that's Joshua's faithfulness. In our text, it goes like this. After the death of Moses the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, my servant is dead. Now think about the gravity of that. That sounds like bad news, right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Moses is dead. It's like a slap in the face of, of unwelcome, uh, unwelcome news. The immediate thought would be, now what? You ever had a, you ever had a thought like that? Maybe, maybe the the patriarch of your family or the matriarch of your family, they pass away, and then all of a sudden you think, what now? What now? What, what, what do we do now? I would imagine that that probably was something that was going on in the mind of Joshua when Moses died. Now, Moses, again, what an incredible, we could spend time talking about him too. Maybe one day we'll tackle a study. But Moses is gone. This man who, who saw God is now gone. And I'm sure the thought was, now what do we do? I read a story about it. Uh, 1876, there was a monument erected to the memory of John and Charles Wesley there at Westminster Abbey in London. And at the base of this, uh, this, this monument are the words by Charles Wesley, and here's what he said, God buries his workmen but carries on his work. Isn't that good? God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. What does that mean? Well, I think that could really could be the, opening, the theme of the opening of our chapter right here. I would write the verse like this, Moses, my servant is dead. Hello, Joshua. 
That'd probably be how I write it. You know, in sports, if you follow any type of sports, they have this saying in, in the uh, sports world, next man up. You think about uh, quarterbacks, pitchers, running backs, wide receivers, just people like that. They get injured. What did I say? Next man up. Next man up. It, it, there's somebody waiting in, in the wings. And, 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 again, I think that's, uh, that's where it is here. Joshua, his time had come, and now God is saying, Joshua, next man up. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, now Joshua, it's your turn. Your turn. Step up. Again, I said there's not a lot of biographical data about him. He was born a slave. He's called the son of none. And we know he came from the tribe of Ephraim. He spent 40 years as, think about that, 40 years as Moses' number one assistant. He and Caleb, you might remember his name from the time that Israel was uh, camped outside of Kadesh Barnea. He and Caleb were part of the 12 spies that went into the, went into the land to spy it out. And they, all of them came back and they talked about how wonderful this land was. And surely it is a land flowing with milk and honey and all of these things. And, and, but yet 10 of them said, but they're giants there. It was Joshua and Caleb who came with the good report. Caleb said, we are well able to do this. You know, he's like, settle down, folks. We are well able to do this. So now you think about this. Since, that, since we know that Caleb was 40 years old at the time of Kadesh Barnea, we can assume Joshua was right around that same age, which means that right now when this book opens, he must have been around 65 years of age. Think about that. All of his life, he's the number two guy. All of his life. And now at 65 years of age, it's time for the promotion. Above anything else, when you look at his story, as we unpack this over the next few weeks, he was a soldier. He was a soldier. He knew how to lead. He knew how to fight. He knew how to win. And, and again, he must have been a brilliant tactician uh, because he led the Jews to a long series. You look at their wilderness wandering, they, they, they had a long series of victories over the Canaanites starting at Jericho. So he had to be brilliant in, in, in warfare. He was not as famous as Moses, okay? But that's not a criticism because, in my opinion, he served God just as well as Moses did. Moses walked with God in a way that Joshua did not, but Joshua fought battles that Moses could not. Again, we all have a different and unique calling, and we have to be careful about, about uh, uh, misunderstanding someone else's call. You know, again, they served the Lord as he called them to serve. Moses walked with God in a way that probably nobody else has at that point. But jo jo Joshua fought battles that Moses could never have fought. I think if we were to outline, again, today's an introduction to this book. If we were to outline the book of Joshua, it would be something like this. Taking the land, that's chapters 1 through 12. Settling the land, that's chapters 13 through 22. And then holding the land is chapters 23 and 24. So it's important to take the land. It's important to settle the land, and it's important to hold on to the land. So that's kind of the breakdown, uh, three divisions of the book of Joshua. For each of these phases, God had a word for them, and that is, number one, fight to take the land. Number two, move in to settle the land. And number three was to remain faithful to hold on to the land. Think about it. Fight to take the land, move in to settle the land, and remain faithful to hold on to the land. Isn't that what he said in 24? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to choose. You know, the people of God at that point, the, the, the nation faced a big question. Again, Moses is dead. Exclamation point. The question is, what happens now? And you know what? Every one of us has that same question from time to time. Something monumental happens in our life. Something major and significant happens in our life. And we have to pause for a moment and say, what now? 
A loved one passes away, a husband, a wife passes away, a, a, a boss and, or the business goes under, and you have to stop and say, what now? They faced a big question. I mean, you think about it. We all have that. Think about this. The pastor that we love so much is leaving the church. What happens now? My husband of 51 years has died. What happens now? The founder of the ministry is gone. What happens now? The leader of this is gone. What happens now? Someone recently asked me, and I'm just illustration purposes. They said, Pastor, what are, what are your future plans? What are you thinking? They said, 30 years is a long time, and most people that are somewhere for 30 years, they retire. Many of them less than 30 years of service. What, 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 what's your plans? Here's what I said to them. I said, you know what? I mentioned that, I said, there will be a transition at some point. You got to understand that. There will be a transition at some point, and my time is closer to the end than when I started 30 years ago. Right? Now, that's, that's right. We understand that, right? So, so my time is nearer to the end than it was 30 years ago when God brought us down here. Only God knows the plans that he has, but here's what I said. I can assure you that when that time comes, nothing that matters will change. Think about that for a minute. When it comes time for me to step aside, whenever that is, next month, next year, 10 years, whatever, I'm just, again, don't start reading between the lines. Whenever that time is, whenever it's my time to step aside, and I pray God give me the wisdom to discern the time because I've seen a lot of irreparable damage done when people ignored the time. <laughs> but when that time comes, the, what nothing that matters will change, not at all. The gospel will remain the gospel. The Bible will remain God's word. So if I'm not pastor, what matters is that his word is still being preached and proclaimed from the pulpit. That's it. See, so after the death of Moses, that's the illustration. So after the death of Moses, the Jews must now discover that truth for themselves. Okay, Moses is dead, but nothing that matters has changed. There's still a land to conquer. There's still a land to inherit. There's still a land to possess. Moses is gone. So let's keep moving. Each generation has to answer that same question. Actually, the question, let me rephrase it like this. And the question would be, will God remain faithful when everything has changed? You think back over 30 years, and I, I, can, I can count many, many things that God has done supernaturally in this body from that first group of 30 people in 1993 to where we are right now. The, the impact I really believe that we made in the kingdom and in our community and, and, and it would be easy to say, well, you know, if you leave, then what's going to happen to all of that? Well, nothing changes. The same God that did all of that and brought us to this point is the same God that will continue moving us forward if we will walk with him. That, that, that's kind of what's going on here. Joshua, Joshua, my servant, is Moses is dead. Moses is gone. But nothing that matters has changed. You still have to go in and possess the possession. You still have to march around the land. You still have to put your foot upon that territory and take it. I've given it to you, but you've got to go and possess it. Every generation has to find the answer to that question. You know, we can still, and that question is, can we still, can we still trust God today? See, it doesn't matter what, uh, again, we have to understand that. You're going to have to, every one of us are going to have to cross the Jordan River at some point and find out for ourselves. So let me give you a few things tonight. Let me, let me give you four things tonight about moving forward. The first thing we have to do, and this is, what, this is where chapter 1 steps in. Moses is dead. I've got to move forward, so how do I do this? Situations change in your life. I've got to move forward. How do I do this? Joshua 1 gives us the answer. Number one, let go of the past. Let go of the past. Again, that's what verse 2 is all about. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you... And all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. Is it a bad thing that Moses is dead? Well, no. Not really. I mean, he served God in his own generation. And when the work was done, God took him home. I was at the funeral on Saturday, and 
one of the officers that was in attendance, I was talking to him, and, and he, he kind of gets uneasy around funerals. And I said, look, I said, this is the way, and, and it may not be the most polished way to say it. I said, but here's what I believe. I believe that I am immortal until he's done with me. Think about that. I'm running my race, and only God knows how far my race carries me, how long I run. And until I run as far as he's determined, predetermined, he knows my beginning from my end. I'm immortal. I don't have to fear all of these peripheral things because God's got me right where he wants me. And I said, so, so I can't fear. D- does that make any sense? He said, look. Moses is dead. Now you and all of these people, it wasn't a bad thing that Moses died. Sad, yes, but bad, no. Because he had served God in his generation. He had completed his task, finished his race, and God took him home. This is the normal order of things. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die. No one lives forever. The mortality rate is still 100%. Some leaders must go so that others may arise. You know, and here's the thing. It's okay to miss the past. It's okay to miss the past. But don't miss the future because you're still living in the past. That's a big thing right there. What he was saying to Joshua is, look, Joshua, there's still something to do. It's okay to reminisce about the good old days and how how Moses walked with me and all the things that you were able to be a part of and witness with your own eyes. But don't live back there because that's not where I am. I'm still over there in the promised land. This is still yours. That's that's a message to us in in today's time. Listen, how many of us can think back to what we might affectionately call the good old days? You know, I still remember, I I, I shared with you about growing up in the church, underneath the church pew, listening to the elders of that church pray and bombard heaven with, with thundering prayers. It's wonderful to reminisce about that, but I don't live there. And I don't want to jeopardize my future by trying to live in the past. Spiritual progress involves recognizing I can't go back, I can't stay here, I've got to move forward. That's how you progress spiritually. We can't go back to the past. We can't relive the good times, nor can we undo the mistakes that we made. How many understand that, right? But here's the thing. We can't stay where we are either. Life is, life is like a river that is ever flowing, okay, ever flowing, irrespective of my feelings right now at the moment. I, listen, I might be very happy in my present condition. Then again, <laughs> I might hate my reality. But it really doesn't matter. I can't stay where I am. What did, what, what did God tell the Israelites in their sojourn in the wilderness? He said, hey, you've been here long enough. How long are you going to continue camping around the same mountain over and over and over again? You've been here long enough. Now pack up and move. God is always on the move. You can't stay there. You can't go to the past. You can't stay where you are. By God's grace, we can move forward one step at a time. Okay? So if I'm going to... If I'm going to do that, I've got to let go of the past. Number two, I've got to get ready to move forward. That's what he says in verse 2. He said, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. God never intended for his people to have a little toehold in the Middle East. What did God want to do? He wanted to build a nation that would stretch from the desert of Lebanon and from the Euphrates River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. By the way, that's not what it is today. One day it will be, but that's not what it is right now. God promised this vast area to them if they would only move out. Verse 3, he said, I will give you every place where your foot sets, steps. Wherever you place your foot, claim it as an inheritance because I'm giving it to you. Isn't that a powerful thing? I mean, think about it. Wherever you walk... You can claim that as a heritage because I'm going to give it to you. Why wouldn't you keep walking? Why wouldn't you keep walking? Listen, if, if they didn't take all that God had promised to them, if they didn't take possession of everything that God promised they could have, it wasn't God's fault. 
Right? How many things do we, how many things are we missing in our lives that, that God said we could have simply because we stopped? <laughs> we didn't claim, we didn't lay claim to the thing, the promises of God. The Bible says the promises of God are yea and amen. How many of those things have we have we not claimed and held on to? If they didn't possess all of the possession, it wasn't God's fault. I mean, he would give them as much land as they could stand on. That's quite a promise and quite a challenge. You see, God had decreed his intent, okay? He'd already declared it. But here's what they were required to do. They got to go over the Jordan. (laughs) See, sometimes we just got to move. A lot of people want to sit here longingly looking over the river and say, well, that's all mine over there. Well, no, not until you go get it, right? You can sit on this side of the Jordan all day long and you can claim that. You can name it and claim it until you're blue in the face, but it will never become yours unless you exercise get, exercise your, 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 your body, get, take, put motion to it and movement and get over there and start walking it. Not yours. The promised land, you know, and here's the thing. What's on the other side of the river? Okay, the promised land and the enemy. Wasn't a a tiptoe through the tulip kind of thing, okay? They crossed at a spot not far from Jericho with all of the double walls, and I think it was just kind of a reminder that if you're going to possess the possessions that God has given to you, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going you're gonna to have to engage. It's not that we can sit down, cross our legs, sing kumbaya, and let God deposit those things in us. We have to take it. I love the song. It says, I went to the enemy's camp. And what did I do? I took back what he stole from me. I didn't sit here waiting on him. I went to his camp. That's the whole point here. Again, he's, got a, he's reminded them that you're going to have to fight to possess your possession. But, again, that's not unusual. I love what Paul, Paul was talking about uh, Ephesus, and he's speaking to the Corinthians in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And here's what he said. He said, a great door. He's talking about the door of Ephesus has been opened. He said, a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. What is he saying? He said, and again, I think it's always the case. Opportunities and enemies go together. Every time you set out to get closer to God, guess what? The enemy's going to come. He's going to come at you from every angle. Every time a church steps out to do something bold for the kingdom of God, there's going to be naysayers and doubt peddlers and, 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 and joy killers and all of these other things trying to stop. Man, I just don't know that we ought to be doing something like that. Run, boss, Run. <laughs> it happens every time. Enemies and opportunities go together. I like what Dr. Bob Jones Sr. put it like this. The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. So here's what God is saying to his people. You can stay where you are, but the action <laughs> is somewhere else. You can stay where you are, but the miracles are on the other side of the Jordan River. You can stay where you are, but God is calling you to move forward. It's our choice. What God said to his people then, I think he's saying to the church now, listen, if there was ever a time when the world needs the church triumphant, it's now. It's now. A church that doesn't get sidetracked because somebody doesn't like the carpet or somebody doesn't like the temperature. Or somebody doesn't like the grass didn't get mowed or that, that napkin didn't get picked. Nonsense. That's not winning anybody. That's not plundering hell and populating heaven. Amen? I'm not saying you ignore. You understand what I'm talking about. Listen, what God was saying to them, he's saying to us now, if we want to see God work, then we've got to move forward by faith. We can't rest on our laurels. Faith, uh, we've got to move forward by faith, knowing that we will go through open doors, but there's going to be adversaries that will wait, uh, that await us. So the question is, will we have the courage to move forward? You can apply that as a corporate body. You can apply that as an individual. Every time God wants to take you to another level, there's going to be an adversary right there on your heels, nipping away like a poodle dog, you know, just trying to, it's going to happen. Will you have the courage to keep moving? 
Number three, you've got to affirm the promise of God. I love this, verse 5. I didn't read it, but I'll read it to you now. Here's what God said to Joshua. Remember, this, this is all going on. God just kind of greeted him and said, hello, Joshua. Moses is dead, by the way. It's your turn. Now, get up and get these people and get over there. That's kind of, get over there. But here's what he said, verse number five. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow, isn't that a powerful verse? You know what, that's one of your, that's a life, uh, that's your life verse right there. That's your life verse. What a powerful promise God made to them. I, lo- I love the phrase, as I was with Moses. What is he doing? He's reminding him of the past. Because remember, for 40 years, this guy served Moses. Okay, number, his number one guy. So he said, just like I was with Moses, that's the way I'm going to be with you. Well, again, think about it. What, what, did he see with jo- what did he see with Moses? Well, he saw Moses stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he saw Pharaoh say, <laughs> you know, go pound sand. So he sees Moses go and connect with God, and God rains down uh, again. I mean, what does he do? He sends the plagues. You got frogs, and you got boils, and you got darkness, and you have hell, and you have water turned to blood, and Pharaoh's still not relenting. So what does he do? He goes back and says, look, dude, I'm telling you one more time. This is my paraphrase. <laughs> Let my people go or else. The Bible says God hardened his heart. By the way, what that means is God just brought to surface what was already in there. He just galvanized the resolve that I'm not bowing to your God. He was there when Moses gave the instruction to have every family go out and put the blood where all the songs that came, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. I've ever read here once or twice in the past. He was there that night when the death angel came moving through the camp and every house that had the blood applied to the who lost their rope. Just said, get out. Just get out. This is the same man that when they left Egypt and get out, got out towards the Red Sea, all of a sudden Pharaoh recants, sets out to enslave them once again. This is the same man who saw Moses stretch out his staff and the waters parted. It's the same man when they got across the other side, Miriam and a hundred, uh, a million and a quarter ladies out in the middle of the desert with tambourines began to worship the Lord, talking about the horse and rider that he's thrown into the sea, saw complete and total victory. He's also the same man that just a couple of days beyond that heard a bunch of people start murmuring that God brought them out into the wilderness to kill them because they were so thirsty. And God said, take your stick and hit that rock. And water came out. And then they needed food. And they needed more water. He's the man that went up to the mountain to talk to the Lord face to face. And he came down with the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. For 40 years, their shoes never wore out. They didn't have to have new soles. They didn't need a footlocker around. Here's food. They never all. Like I was with him, I'll be with you. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, if you're not ready to take everybody on after that, then there's something wrong with you. As God's reminding him, hey, you remember Moses. Every battle, I was with him. Every uprising, I was with him. Every bad day, I was with him. Every time people murmured and complained and gri- I was with him. And you know what? I'll be with you. So we, we have to understand that this promise was not for an easy life. I think, I think sometimes we come into the kingdom thinking that it's going to be a smooth sailing, and it's not. Jesus even tells us it's not. God promise, God's promise to Joshua was not a promise of unlimited victory or a promise that there would be no tears. In fact, I think if you take the book of Joshua, it could be called the book of battles. 
the book of battles because every, almost every page is a battle. Joshua battling fear, Joshua battling people, Joshua battling the enemies. I mean, it's just it's the book of battles. It's a fight. Every one of us has battles that we're fighting. Every one of us. And, again, those battles that we're fighting take on many, a myriad of, uh, of, of shapes and sizes and, 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 and root causes. But, but the word of the Lord is, I'm with you just like I was with all of them before you. I'll be with you. God says, you've got to fight for the land that I'm going to give to you. But you know what? As you fight, I'll be with you every step of the way. That's how you live in, a, that's how you live in victory. That's how you overcome uh, the struggles of life, the addictions of life, the bad habits of life, the attitudes of life, is to understand that as I fight these things, I'm not fighting with weapons of my warfare. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. That's how I'm fighting because God's with me. That's what he's telling Joshua. Number four, we've got to choose the hard road of obedience. I'm going to bring this in. The hard road of obedience now we come to some very familiar words. I've used these many, many times in my prayer time saying, God, you, you, you said this. After promising to be with Joshua, here's what the Lord says to him. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may to, listen to what he said, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord. Three times. Three times God said to Joshua, be strong and be courageous. There's a my own. Take Moses' place. He's overwhelmed. I'm sure his brain is running 90 miles an hour. So knowing his, his struggles and the things that are going on, he says, you know what? Don't be afraid because I will be with you wherever you go. I like that. I remind the Lord of that. I remind the Lord of that. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm, in, a, I'm in a bad place, but you said you won't leave me. I'm in, a, I'm in a major struggle, but you said you won't leave me. I just remind him of what he's already declared, and I grab hold of that. Listen, but as we read that, notice that there's a catch. There's a catch. God promises something that comes with a condition. And if they're going to be, if they're going to possess the possession, then they've got to honor the condition of that. Okay, a kind of a cause and effect. If you'll do this, this is what's going to happen. And so what is that? Well, he said, then you must carefully obey all the law that Moses has given you. That's it. For that generation, it, again, it pr primarily meant the book of Deuteronomy, okay? For us today, it means the whole counsel of God, the word of God. And his commandments are this. Verse 7, know God's word. Verse 8, talk about God's word. Verse 8, meditate on God's word. And, no, and again, verse 8, obey God's word. That's the condition. Know God's word, talk about God's word, meditate on God's word, and obey God's word. If you'll do that, you'll be prosperous. You know what? It still applies today. It still applies today. And I love the phrase in verse 7 says, be careful to obey. I mean, I, I think you could flip that verse, that verse around and say it kind of like this. Unless we are careful to obey, we'll find reasons not to obey. Right? We could probably say it like that. I mean, nobody stumbles into holiness by accident. Amen? You don't just stumble into holiness. No one becomes godly without there being some effort. It's like saying, be careful to stay on your diet. Right? Because if you're not careful, you'll ditch your diet the day you start it. That's kind of human nature. Somebody come around with a Krispy Kreme donut and, bam, you're gone right there. <laughs> but the thing is, as I kind of wrap this up, this is not, God promises success if the people would be careful to obey. I think one of the things that the church is missing 
is the obedience of God's people. We, we, we've, we've created in our minds that we've bargained enough with God that we can just kind of skate through life. And then we wonder why we're inept, that we have no power in our prayers, we have no power in our story, we have no power in our witness. Well, it's because we've created a bargain in our mind that God never agreed to. It still goes back to obedience, trust and obey, for there is no other way. But to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Again, uh, God's, God's promise of success is that if the people would be willing to, uh, careful to obey. So why, did, why was Joshua God's choice? Well, I mean, when Moses died, Joshua was ready because he had been prepared for years. Sometimes the waiting, play, the waiting time is a very difficult place to be. This man waited most of his life. God called him. Joshua had no master plan. He only had the determination to obey. When he ordered the people to move out, he had no advanced fu- uh, knowledge of what the future would hold, out, uh, would hold for them, but they just set, set out anyway. He obeyed. See, Joshua was a prepared man. He was a called man. He was an obedient man. Bart Bailey says it like this. God often confirms his will after we obey, not before. Did Joshua know how the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down? No. In fact, I probably th- he probably thought it was ridiculous. I mean, again, if you're a tactician or a strategist with military in mind, and the, the, the battle plan is to walk around the building with your mouth shut once a day, and on seventh day, do it seven times, and at the end of the seventh time, give a shout and a trumpet. Not very, not very sound tac- tactics. But what did he do? Every day he got up and he obeyed. He led the men to walls, and on the seventh day, the seventh time, the walls came tumbling down. That's why Joshua was chosen. He obeyed. Some of us, yes. Around the building. I mean, I'd still be there, standing there in front of Jericho, arguing with God about how ridiculous that sounded. But God chose him. So as I wrap this up tonight, let's talk about three things. Number one, when you let go of the past, we are free to pursue God's vision for our future. Again, it's one thing to look back and remember, and I think God used that. As I was with Moses, I think he was jogging the memory of Joshua saying, hey, remember all those great things that I did with him? We call the of the church, and we look back and say, man, if we could only go back to that, I think God would say, you know what, let go of that, because just like I was with them, I'll be with you. That's a word for us. Number two, when we lead with courage, others follow. Others. We have a leadership void and, and I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to come out, in our nation. We don't have leaders. I don't even, I don't even like to use the word boss, but we, we don't have leaders. We don't have men and women in the leadership bureaucracy of our, of our nation that know how to lead. And there's a void. One of the reasons I think our nation is so fractured and fragmented is because there's a leadership void. When leaders begin to lead with courage, people line up behind them and follow. It's the same thing in the church. It's the same thing. Husbands in your household, lead with courage. Lead with courage. And that family will follow. Number three, when we dare to trust and obey, miracles begin to happen. My prayer, I've, my prayer has been, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Do in this generation what you've done in previous generations. Don't let my grandchildren just hear stories of what you used to do. My, my children, fortunate enough, have experienced wonderful things here in ministry and mission trips that they've been involved in in camps. But I pray, Lord, let my grandchildren not just hear stories of what you used to do. Show up. And when we dare to trust and obey, miracles are going to start happening. Again, there's a whole lot more as I close tonight. There's a lot more to his story than what we were able to. Tonight was just simply an introduction. 
I like what John Wayne said. John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. I think sometimes if we're not scared by what God is asking us to do, we're not listening to the right voice. Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And I think that's good. So as I close, my closing statement is this. Moses is dead. God's workers die. But God's work goes on. Would you stand with me tonight? Again, this is, we don't have time to do justice to this incredible book. I would encourage you to, uh, over the next few weeks, just, just make that, a, if, if it doesn't violate your devotion, read, read through Joshua. It's a, it, again, it's an incredible, incredible story of how God takes this man, reminds him not to be afraid, reminds him that I'll be with you every step of the way, and uses him to go in and possess the possession now, you'll see later on, they didn't take all that God had given to them, but God used him mightily in that land. I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer tonight. And if you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. But, but maybe you're here tonight, and I'm just, I just going to throw it out like this, two things. Number one, maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I, there, there's some areas of my life that I need some courage in. There, there, there's some areas that, you know, as you talked about courage, I, I, I need that. And I needed to be reminded that God is with me no matter where I am. And I want that to be the motivator to help me to, to obey, to trust, to move forward. And the second thing is maybe you're here tonight and say, you know, Pastor, just pray. It's been a rough week for me. And I just, would you just pray? If that's you in any one of those things, would you slip in and write it right back down? Amen. Amen. God is faithful. Father, tonight I love you and I thank you. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, you can't love us anymore and you won't love us any less. And Lord, sometimes it's so easy to be anchored to the past that we, we leave our affections, our dreams are all what used to be. Lord, help us to have the courage to let those things go, to reminisce and have good memories, but not to live there because you're always moving. Lord, let us hear your words afresh again today. As I have been with previous generations, I will be with you in this generation. Help us to dream big dreams about what you want to do in our, in our community today, Johnson County and beyond. You have been faithful for many, many years. And we rejoice and we're thankful, but we don't want to sit down and twiddle our thumbs now. Lord, we want to refire, not retire, to keep moving forward. I pray, Father, for those tonight that maybe have had a difficult and challenging week. Again, would you uphold them with your powerful right hand. Minister courage and strength to obey and do what you have called them to do. Lord, whatever they're facing, whatever challenges are in their life right now, Lord, I pray that they would just have confidence that you who began a good work will be faithful to complete and that all things will work together for our good is what you have promised. Now, I ask you to go with us. Give us a wonderful night. May we rest soundly in you. Give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And should you tarry, Lord, bring us on Sunday. I pray you'll be with us tomorrow in our food distribution. Come, to, uh, Lord, on Sunday if you tarry. Lord, even now, bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west and ordain what's going to take place. Break, break strongholds, open prison doors, save lost souls is our prayer for this coming weekend. Lord, I love and I bless each one here today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.